You have to eat the dream. You have to sleep the dream. You have to dream the dream. You gotta touch, you have to see it when nobody else sees it. You have to feel it when it's not tangible. You have to believe it when you cannot see it. You gotta be possessed with the dream. The dream. Yeah. What's up, guys, and welcome to Straight from the Chess Podcast. My name is Justin Groth, and I am your host on this personal development, personal growth podcast. If you are new to the show, I just want to welcome you. I just want to thank you for giving me your listening ear. It means a lot to me. If this is your second, third, or 147th time tuning back in, I just want to thank you for tuning back in and coming back for a second time. It means a lot to me. Guys, this is a personal development podcast that's centered around growth and development in all aspects. And if this is a podcast that you've derived value from, please, please don't hesitate to share it with somebody that you feel will derive value from it as well. Share it on your Instagram stories. Propagate it as much as you can because this is a way we generate awareness of the podcast and it would do me a great service and it would just just do the podcast a great service. So I appreciate you in advance. Thank you in advance. Guys, we have a guest today. His name is Ramon. We have awesome, awesome titles and outlines to get into, but what I want to do first is I want to introduce Ramon. I want you to, I want him to tell you who he is. I'm excited to have him on the podcast. Um, real quickly, he's the guy that's in the background <laughs> within the the operation of the podcast and and all the, the technical aspects of things because Lord knows I'm not good at that, and so he takes that over for me, but. There's, there's much more to the person that is Ramon, and I want to delve into that today. But first, Ramon, introduce yourself, brother. Hey, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's good to be on this side of the technical uh, side of things. Um, but yeah, uh, just great to be on, great to be here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I do help a lot with uh, things like the website. Uh, for those of you who have visited it, um, and even helping to try to dial this podcast in. It's been a passion project of mine. Uh, it's been awesome to be able to help you with it and to watch it grow uh, throughout that process. So it's been a lot of fun. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. And a lot of people that are first time listeners, they don't know the backstory. And so I'm going to go into that real quick. Before I even had a podcast, there was an impetus to do the podcast and that was Ramon's voice. And I had spoke on his podcast, um, what was it? Probably three or four years back. Yeah. It was a while ago now. And, um, Ramon just had, had let me under, or rather he wanted me to understand that there was something that there would be possible merit to people that were on the other end. And, uh, I didn't really, to, you know, truth be told, I don't really, I didn't really believe him at the time and I still don't really believe him. But at the same time, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, um, I do know this. I do know I like to, to talk and I know that I like to help people. And so that's the whole reason why I became a personal trainer, in fact. But the fact of the matter is I would have never have embarked on this journey or pathway if it weren't for Ramon and we really all need somebody like that in our life or, or even multiple people like that in our life. Because even though we're so, we're our, our biggest fan 
sometimes that doesn't come out in real life and we don't do things like as if we are our biggest fan in real life we still stay recluse and and coiled up with what we otherwise have to dispense with to the world but because we're so fearful of what people's reactions might be and not being accepted that we just we stay put in our comfort zone we stay coiled up and that's something that Ramon helped me to get out of and he helped me to understand that there's going to be people that are going to benefit from what you have to say from based on your experiences, different authorities you have and different avenues of life or what you've done. And by the way, I don't really think I've done much at all, but to somebody else, you may have done something. You may have done something of importance of, of, of proclivity. And the thing is, you don't know what everybody else is going through or what journeys they have or what what battles are going through and you may add some context to their lives and you may have to have uh, add a, at a aid of support help in, in terms of support and it could be coming out through what you say and so Ramon helped me to understand that and I'm just grateful and thankful for him because of that and then on top of that he just helps with the podcast and he does it out of the goodness of his heart because he wants he wants to see the podcast grow, I guess. I mean, wh- why else would he do this? I'm, you know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just fortunate and blessed to have somebody like that in my corner that, that just wants to see organic growth and does it from an authentic state of mind. Like he, he operates from an authentic state of mind and I'm just grateful and fortunate for him to do, be able to do that and offer that, offer that expertise and guidance and, and really above and beyond that deliver the impetus that is the podcast today that might grow into something or it might not but if it does he's going to get credit wherever the fuck this podcast goes (laughs) so i appreciate you again man yeah thank you for that i think that um to kind of hit on what you were saying is I, i i i think that there's definitely certain types of individuals in this world. And I am growing to find that as myself, I guess you can call it maybe a team player or someone who kind of can fit a role and you, you find your strengths, whatever they may be. And for the time in this moment, uh, it's a passion for podcasting. It's a passion for learning about the technical side of things. And then it's not hoarding that knowledge for myself. It's now saying, well, let's share this. Let's, let's do something with this. And I think that it's something that I try to carry out throughout. Well, with this podcast, it's definitely in my personal life, but, uh, through my working, uh, life as well. And even in my marriage, it's just, you try to find how can you better the other person or better someone else? Because it comes back to you, uh, whether it's tenfold or just, it doesn't come back in, in ways that you even notice. Uh, I, I feel like it does. We all have strengths, right? We all have different things that we allocate different levels of energy to and effort to. And some people allocate a lot of the energy or effort into their work or building their business or building their body. I mean, there are a lot of things that, or even their relationship, right? And I've always found that there's certain people that you would think because they can do this really well, 
why can't they do that really well too? If they have the same, if it comes from the same core foundation in terms of their discipline and their, their, their ability to produce, why don't they keep those same disciplines and concepts linear across the board with everything they do in life? So what I'm basically saying is why can't you be perfect in everything? Because if you're perfect in one field, you should be able to be fucking perfect in another field. And because it's just the way that you are, it's the way you're wired. But sadly, that's just not the way human beings are. We are, we are one way with one thing, 100%. If we're lucky, if we're lucky, dude, and then everything else gets like, you know, uh, gets a, a a denigrated level of percentage everywhere else, you know? So you may be a really good, let's say really good bodybuilder. You may be a really good CEO, but then you're shit in your relationship or you're shit in your kids' lives or you're shit. You know what I mean? Or you may be a really dope father, really. I can't believe I used the word dope. You're a really good father. <laughs> Throw it back to the nineties right there. Yeah. You're a really good father. You're so, you're so logical and rational and how you teach your kids, but then you're not able to produce and work. You're not able to grow a company. You're not able, you know what I mean? It's like we, we want to be so good at everything we do. And we're a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah. Or if you're really lucky, you find something you're tunnel visioned with and you do it a hundred percent and then you move on to something else. You do that tunnel with tunnel vision. You're a hundred percent at that. And you accrue this kind of trail, so to speak of credentials along the way in your life. I mean, does this seem like that with you? Because you're the, I mean, you have a podcast centered around being a father, basically yeah. in a family. So the fact, that, and it's for, for representation of the podcast, we're going to share, we're going to do a shameless plug. It's dad's <laughs> podcast project. Go check it out. Even though he hasn't <laughs> fucking recorded in like a year, but <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. But the thing is, is that you're really, really, one thing I've noticed about you is you're really into being a father. And that's something that kind of takes precedence over everything. And everything you do as a man is predicated on being a loving father towards not only your son, but a loving husband towards your wife. And those are things that are ridiculously admirable and that most people allow a back seat with. Because they're so focused on other, you know, I hate to say this way, but selfish things, selfish endeavors and, and selfish endeavors and pursuits. Yeah. And that's one thing I've always admired about you. I've never told you that, I don't believe, but I've always admired that about you because that is a true man. There's multiple facets to being a real man. And one of them is being a real family man even though those things aren't really propagated in today's society and or social media, yeah. it's not really glamorous to be an integral father and a, and a very rationally sound man in the family, you know, uh, and a leader really. So leadership is important and there's multiple hours we can, we can apply leadership, but 
the thing that's great about you and the thing that I wanted to talk about is your ability to be a leader in your family. Set a, set a stage for your son. Set an example because you're raising a little Ramon. Where do you want that to go? How do you, how do you navigate this? How do you navigate this course of being a father and having the, having the burden of providing for a family people that count on you? Yeah. You know, I know that, I know that your wife works. No, actually. Oh, she doesn't. No. Well, I mean, I don't want to discredit, uh, being a stay at home mother. Uh, it's definitely a really, really hard job. Um, a full-time job. She doesn't even get a break. Uh, it's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So that's definitely pretty tough, but yeah, for the, for the time being, um, yeah, I've been the sole, uh, at least in terms of financial, uh, provider in that regard. So as you know, on my podcast, because you, because you tell me you listen, um, and I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I listen to your podcast a lot. And I- yeah. <laughs> the, um, you know that I talk a lot about finding your purpose, finding your pursuit, finding a pursuit and an aim and going towards that. And so I really feel like it's one thing that you've adopted in your life is the pursuit of being a really great father. And that's something that holds very strong in your heart something that you pursue avidly, but it's almost autonomous at this point, clearly, but it's still nonetheless a pursuit that you're always trying to get better at. I mean, I know podcasting is, is very passionate. You're very passionate about podcasting. And even though you haven't done it for a while, that's just because other things have taken a front seat, which is to provide for your family. Yeah. And so, but I know that because you're so passionate, you center a podcast around being a dad. And that means a lot. You're not going to do that because you just kind of care about being a dad. You really care about it. So what are some obstacles that you have? And I actually oppose from that or apart from that, why, what gets you to keep going every day knowing apart from knowing that your son is counting on you, your wife is counting on you. What keeps you going amidst the burden of becoming a better father every day because it's a good burden. Nonetheless, it's a burden. So what keeps you what keeps you going and, and, and navigating better than you did the day prior? So I think that, well, and to add on to it, uh, there is another, so our daughter too. So Oh, wow. <laughs> so a son and a daughter. Um, and Love it. Love it. <laughs> uh, but I think the thing that, um, cause it's definitely a multifaceted question and to answer it best, I think I'll start with the, really the desire to become a, a father to begin with started with my upbringing. Um, like everybody has a different upbringing, everybody, either they're born into a family that, you know, parents get divorced or, you know, parents can be really, really mean to their kids or whatever. And I like to think that I had a really good childhood, my brother and I. And so we, at least I looked up to my parents and it was something that I wanted in my life. It was never about where they worked. It was never about how much money they made. They never talked about that. I didn't even know where my mom worked for the longest time. 
I actually thought she was Oprah. Like, <laughs> I was like oh, you're Oprah. Because, you know, that haircut, that hairstyle was popular back in the day. And women were wearing, like, suits to work, too. And so I was like, oh, my mom's Oprah. Um, and, then, um, and then my dad, well, he stayed home with us and raised my brother and I. He was fortunate enough to have uh, earned early retirement and um, be able to stay with us because uh, he, he was receiving a pension. And so that type of upbringing is what really drove me to think to myself, I want this too. I want to have a family. I want to do the Christmases. I want to do the the family trips. I want to do all that stuff. Um, you know, if my kids want to play sports, then they'll play sports and that'll be cool too. I just want to experience that. And so that was the driving factor behind it. Um, I just... I've always wanted to have children. I always wanted to have two. When my wife and I uh, were first dating, like we got into the conversation of like, how many kids would you want? And she was like, oh, I'd want two. And I was like, yeah, I'd want two as well. It was never really a, a taboo topic, even when dating. Some people, they don't, it's like, oh, it's too early to talk about that. Or it's too early to talk about marriage. We, we barely even know each other. But I feel like, at least for myself, if we're talking about, potentially forever with somebody you should be able to be candid whether it's now or later I felt like if she's asking a question I should be able to answer and not feel uncomfortable to answer whatever she's asking me uh so to in order to then once the kids entered this world uh continue on and pursue uh bettering myself in my career uh I think that all decisions before they were born were made with the idea that they would be here. And all decisions that have been made after they were born have been made with them in mind. Uh, so it's like, it is the same, but it is different now because it's like decisions I make will affect how things go for them. And in order to keep going, it's really just the support system, uh, of my wife, uh, Cause the kids are, they're definitely at the age where sometimes they love me. And sometimes it's like, Oh, you're the worst. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, it's the way it is. It comes with being a, a parent. So would you feel that you and your wife adopt 50, 50 roles? Uh, are you- even there, it's like, I would say I would, I would definitely, uh, say that she does more. Even though you could look at it like I'm the one that goes to work and earns a paycheck, I feel like she does so much more because she is caring for these kids. She's That's what's important to me. I mean, what happens with work, what happens with any of these other endeavors that I might be pursuing, it really is all for the end goal of them. But because she physically does it for them, like I'm not... I might earn the money that buys the food, but she's preparing the meals that they eat. She's taking care of them, making sure that our son is doing his distant learning. So she's like a mom and a teacher and a physician, like all in one. And then I get home and then there's a meal for me too. That's a lot. I feel like, I feel like we, we care.
think that's, and I'm not, I'm going to venture out to say something. Um, and this is likely going to be controversial to some people. Us as men, we're so one dimensional and not multifaceted that because we look at something as we will, we will do, we will do, well, let's say this, we'll, we'll complete our work. And to some people like the the opposite sex, they look at that and like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're moving brick all day. I can't believe you're painting houses all day. I can't, you know, here, here's your meal at the end of the day here. I would, you know, they love doing that. They love nurturing their men, at least traditional women do this. Let's not get that confused with modern women because that's a whole different topic. So, excuse me. When men see women perform in their role, we see it as this is a lot. This is ridiculous. I don't know how you do all this, but they and modern women don't want to hear this. They're wired in a way to adopt multiple tasks and be able to do them effectively. Whereas men, we're not really wired that way. We're not, we're not really, we're not really harnessed with the wiring to be able to do multiple things and do them all really well. We're, we're more focused at one, like I said, we're one dimensional. Like singular tasks. Yes. I do this one task and then it's the next one and then it's the next one. Right. The, the role that your wife is playing is a role that is not really viewed in today's society as meaningful. Yeah. Because more women are traveling outside into the business world, which is great for them. I'm all about that, but they're foregoing the most crucial role as a woman that they have and purpose that they have in life, which is to be a mother and to breed. And that is something that's falling by the wayside. And I don't know if it's because of social media, you know, propagating this narrative of boss bitch mentality. But the fact of the matter is people are losing or women are losing steam in the real formidable role that they're meant to play, which is not only meant to play, but predominantly meant to play, which is the upbringing of a civilization. Cause without you, we can't do this without the woman. Men can't have children. So it's very important that the, and then also for, for purposes of a, of a stationary household, we know that in a, in a, in a proper household, it's best if the woman raises the child, not a nanny, not a bought nanny. We understand this. So it's like, I could go on and on. I don't want to, but the fact of the matter is your wife plays a pivotal role in what she does. And you're very fortunate that you have a, a household unit. You have a nuclear family that is traditional because a lot of times, well, more often than not nowadays, we're not having nuclear. We don't have nuclear families. We have a broken families and we have people that are adopting different roles within yeah. the household. Now that's not to say that a man can't stay home and be a stay at home dad while the woman goes out and works. There's utility to that. And 
because that was my upbringing. Um, I remember conversations with my parents where my mom said, uh, people would raise eyebrows at that, but it was none of, it was nobody's business that my dad was still earning a pension that we were all on his medical plan. That is like, he was still providing, but because he didn't physically go to work, it was like really, really frowned upon back, like way back then. Well, how did he get the pension though? So he worked at the correctional facility. Exactly. Yeah. He already put in his work though. If he had not done any of that, there would be less nobility with that. Yeah. And it was one of those things like, I felt like, I guess I kind of, there's a closeness in a way that I feel for wanting to have my kids, um, or wanting to have children as, um, I feel like my dad really wanted to have us and it wasn't like we were, we were a burden to him. He wanted to be home with us, which was really cool. I mean, there's a lot of folks I'm sure that are like, "Ah, I'm going to hit the bar after work. And then they'll just stroll in when it's like bedtime or the kids are already asleep for whatever reasons they may have. That's what they want to do. And that's fine. But as soon as that bell rings, it's like, I'm in my car. I'm gone. I'm trying to get home. (laughs) I'm not really thinking about anything other than that. Well, it's because it's what's the focus. It's your focus. It's what's on your mind. It's that's it's a part of your fulfilling your purpose in life. And you know, we as men, we deem, we put importance, we place importance on things that are, that are, a, that are a, a course of, um, a possible course of fruition for us. Like there's massive, there's massive fruition in you raising a child and for him to be an honorable, respectful human being, you, know, you and your wife. But the fact of the matter is, because we're so one-dimensional, we only see things in that respect. Like we can't really, we can't really do much apart from that unless you're Elon Musk and or running three <laughs> major companies. But that's that's our pursuit. We we have a pursuit in mind, an aim, a focus, and we go we we travel that pathway until it's exhausted, and we we look forward to doing it because it's. It's something that's innately wired in us to become something, to become the, so the burden I've talked about this before, the burden of becoming, well, you're becoming your best father and you had a very good example. You're taking things in a different direction, but you're really not. I mean, he laid out the work in the forefront to be able to have the pension. That shit just doesn't come without you putting in the work. And if he wasn't a real man, then he wouldn't have seen the merit to that and he would have, you know, done things differently. But because that was your upbringing, you want to emulate that again in your life, which is the same thing. I'm on a different course than my father, but I almost envy the way that he, the way that he ended up um, navigating his life, even though it was much harder than mine. I look, I look back into those formidable years as a youth growing up, the things that he was able to provide to us, what we're able to do as a result of his hard work, you know, travel to, you know, do vacations every year. And we like Disneyland. So we always went to Disneyland. Everybody yeah. wants to, people <laughs> want to say, Hey, Justin, where do you want a vacation? I want to go to Disneyland. <laughs> 
that's what my that's my that's my thing. I like I like Disneyland. And I like it for nostalgic reasons, but at the same time, I'm not a bougie type of vacational vacation. I don't know if this is a word vacationist. I don't know. A vacationer. Vacationer. Yeah. I like simple. I like Disneyland. Period. Right. I mean, that's. And so anyways, my dad used to bring us there every year. And that was something that was so cool to be able to do that. You know, he would able to, he was able to buy toys and we were able to experience certain things like dirt bike riding and boat riding and not boat riding, but you know, going to the lake and shit like that, you know, and those things like he built those things. He built that for us him and my mother because they work hand in hand in the business. That's not my life. You know, I look back to where my dad was at 37 and I mean, I, I was like, what, 60? 15 years old at the time or something. Oh, so yeah, so, you're very young. Hey man, at 21, so 16. So it's like, he already done so much, man. And yeah. I feel like I haven't done shit because <laughs> I compare it to my dad. And by the way, I don't compare myself to people at least as harshly as I compare myself to him because that to me is a true marker. Yeah. And I want to break that mark. I think but, it's that way for everybody. Right. And it should be, right? Respectfully break it. Respectfully break it to the point where I'm able to give back in ways that they never fathomed and I never fathomed. But having a pursuit in mind is the only way you're going to get anything like that into bringing like that anything like that into fruition, man. And the fact that you are raising a child with a structured purpose in mind. And that's what you wake up for every day. I mean, realistically, that's why you wake up. Yeah. You wake up to be able to provide for your child and your wife and your new child that's on their way. Oh, no. Already here. Already here. <laughs> yeah, she's. Why do you hold out on me on this information, man? I feel like I. I should know this about you. It's one of the things. I'm not one of those Instagram parents. So I'm not posting pictures of my kids. On Instagram, I have my own uh, strong opinions about that and folks who decide to do that. Um, you know, with, they I'm do whatever you. they want to do, but it's not what I do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we recently took our kids to Disneyland as well. I mean, it was really for them. I had gone maybe a handful of times as a kid myself. Um, and my wife, she just loves that place. It's it It holds that, like, when you say it's the Magic Kingdom, like, those words resonate with her. And so it was a big deal for us to take them. And this whole COVID thing came through and it was like, we had to push it back, push it back. But fortunately we were able to go take both of them and they just loved it. They were just beaming eye to eye. And for me, it was all about their reaction. I was like, this is really awesome, but it's even cooler to see it like through their eyes. As they're like, oh my gosh, it's Mickey. And oh my gosh, it's the look at the castle and all this other stuff. And it's just, and then going on the rides with my son that I had gone on with my parents as a kid. It was like, it was really cool to, to kind of, it felt full circle at that point. Yeah. And being able to do that, that is something that being able to partake in experiences like that is something that. I think I would give up a lot to be able to have that. Whereas 
maybe some people in your position be like, I'd give up a lot to be where you're at and then not have, but those are not family, man. Like those are not family because any real family man is going to be like, fuck, no, I would never give up what this is for you. (laughs) I mean, I could go on and on with how I would trade, you know, to be in that position. Ultimately, ultimately it wasn't my lot in life to be a family man, at least right now. Yeah. And my life took a different course and I decided to do, I I mean, in my, in my high school days of youth, I decided to be more so of, of a player and not treat the element of being with a woman seriously and vetting a woman for, for, you know, for, for marriage. Yeah. Sort of sowing wild oats, I guess would be the terminology. Yeah. Some people would use. Yeah. And then I decided to, so I decided not do that and start a business. And it's funny because my, my, my focuses have never been on money. I like things, but they've never been on just accruing all the money I can. And I've never been so focused on work where I didn't see other things too. But I guess I just never put an importance on finding a wife either. Yeah. Even though in my mind, when I interact with a woman, I can compile, I can basically categorize her into, into one of three categories, friend, fuck, or marriage. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think I'm, I'm I think, I think most men can do that. Maybe not yourself. Cause you're in a, you, you don't know what that's like. Cause you, and respectfully so you shouldn't know what that's like <laughs> being married for so long. But, um, that's basically how men categorize females. You know, are you going to be a friend, just a friend, a friend, a, a, a fuck buddy, or are you wife material? And it's important to find the wives and more often than not, you don't find them not saying you can't, but you don't find them on Instagram taking model pictures of themselves because what they're after is just clout fans. They're after likes and comments feeding their ego. And that to a man, I had this conversation with somebody that you and I both know well. Uh, she's fairly prominent in the city that yeah. you're from. Yeah, um, I think I, yeah, I know who you're talking about. And she, I, I just, I kind of just laid this out in a way that I'm kind of laying out to you. It's not, men don't look at that as appealing because it's something that they feel is attention gathering only. It's only for attention. I don't care if you monetize off of it. At some point, you need to look into the future and realize that what you're documenting is actually, in fact, being documented and it's not going away. It's going to be somewhere forever. And that perhaps 
that might not be the path you want to travel five years from now. I'm so glad I didn't have an Instagram when I was 15 years old because I would have been a fucking idiot with it. And I'm not saying I would have, you know, posted provocative things, but I would have said stupid shit because my mind as a 15 year old thinks a lot differently than my mind as a 37 year old. Oh yeah. And I think I'm going to think differently when I'm 50, even when I'm 45, I'll look back at my 37 year old self and be like, you're a fucking idiot. But making sure that I'm going off track here, but look, the fact of the matter is if you are just paying attention to the here and now, and you're not looking towards the future with where you want to be positioned, then that's going to really, that's, that's going to really wreak havoc on you and where you could potentially go. Yeah. But if you're, you know, you're, you're as a man, you're trying to vet a wife, you're finding a wife and you're not going to, what I'm trying to make the point of you're you're not going to find a wife on social media. One who just promotes themselves in a way that is, provocative or illustrious and just trying to gather comments to feed their own dopamine or rather, you know, dopamine levels. Yeah. I definitely, Oh, go go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, I definitely feel that there's a type, um, for everyone. Uh, one might, I don't know, just to pick any, any type of analogy, consider that to be maybe a trophy wife, someone who wants to acquire things and that, that person might be a thing to them. Um, and then you just find out personality later, either it's a hit or a miss who knows, but yeah, definitely for myself. I mean, I guess we were kind of on the same page, uh, in, in our high school years, I wasn't trying to vet a wife or anything like that. However, I wasn't out, you know, sowing my wild oats. I was definitely, um, more just focused on school and, and going home (laughs) and doing homework. (laughs) (laughs) And so after it was kind of like, um, how you said you focused primarily on building a business. Um, mine was like, what's the foundation that I need to lay in order to then be ready for a wife or be ready for a family. So that was sort of my, I guess my thought process is to build my career. Like, what am I going to do? How am I going to provide? Because you know, some, some individuals we went to school with, you know, they got caught up young and they got pregnant at 15 or 18. And then they just had to figure it out as they went. However, for myself, it's like, I didn't have that, uh, occur. So it was like, okay, well, let me focus on what I'm going to do for work then. And then when I met my wife or when we met each other, um, it was kind of like, okay, now how do we prepare for this like how what are we gonna do to be ready for a kid and even even then after the conversations and everything we still didn't feel like we were ready even when she got pregnant it was like how are we gonna how are we gonna do this (laughs) so would you say that you got ready when you had a kid i think that mentally we prepared ourselves maybe all our lives for it but it wasn't until like our son started growing in her belly that it was like, now the clock's ticking. Do you, do you have a crib? Do you have all the things that you need? Uh, do you know where you're going to be, you know, birthing this child? All of this stuff came up. And then there were a lot of, um, I guess you can say challenges along the way. My wife and I, we had talked about this, 
with each other because we t- we tend to like kind of reminisce on on the um like the the story of our son because his was like i mean when you say a, a a child is a miracle his was definitely an interesting story so my wife she has a um i guess what's considered like a bronchial i'm, I'm probably butchering the, the name but uh heart-shaped uterus so it's not just one it's like two and a baby needs a lot of room to grow so a baby's either going to grow on one side or the other and not in both and so when that space fills it kind of triggers something where it's like okay you're going to go into labor she was at a high probability that our son was going to be born premature and he was i think like two months early something like that and so it was like okay how do we prolong this to where he's not born early so she was pretty much on bed rest I want to say for two or maybe three weeks couldn't get up couldn't walk around anything she just had to stay put and for me I didn't even go back home I went to work and then I slept in the hospital with her like they had like a makeshift bed or whatever that you would sleep in until our son was born and then when he when he did arrive he had to stay in a NICU, which is the Nido Nideo intensive care unit uh, for babies. And he was there for 22 days. So they sent us home without him, which is a, another trippy thing to have to experience. And then because she had had a C-section, she couldn't even go back to visit him because she now had to recover from that. So every morning I would get up, I want to say maybe 3.30 or 3 in the morning, and I would drive to the hospital to to visit with them for like 30 minutes, drop off milk so that he could eat, go to work, then come back, visit with them for another 30 minutes, and then go home and check on my wife and make sure she had everything she needed too. Fortunately, my mother-in-law, she was a huge help, but I mean, for 22 days, we did that. So during that time that your the child was in the was in the intensive care unit, is that what it was? Mm-hmm. You had to be on like that, you know, the whole incubator mm-hmm. underneath these, uh, like uh, like black lights and mm-hmm. stuff to for something with uh, rubella or something. Like I'm forgetting all of this, like so, which is why we try to talk about it every year so that we can rejog our memories and. Well, when you had that that moment of 22 days before moving the child in your house, what was that like experiencing the fact that you're now a dad and that that's something that you add to your name and you are adding to your legacy? What was it like the feeling of knowing that every day you woke up that you're now a dad? Cause I know things had to change. They had to shift. They did. And you know what? I think that my wife and I, we felt like, we didn't get to feel that feeling for a long time because he was so small. So even though it was like, I feel like I'm a dad, I've joined this, you know, this club of other men who came before me. He was really tiny. We had to be extra careful. He was like still uh, exercising his lungs. So at night, my wife wouldn't sleep at all. She'd be up checking on him, making sure he's okay. Then there were bouts of like crying and all this other stuff. 
I want to say it wasn't until like maybe he was a year old that we started getting in the groove of things. It's like, okay, we're parents now. Because <laughs> that was a lot. That was a lot in the beginning. And then when our daughter was born, I mean, she came early too, but not nearly. And I mean, we we were fortunate enough to, to go up to slow and it was a real nice, smooth process. They had something completely different because our son was born in Southern California. So it's like a revolving door. You get in, get out, get in, get out. Cause there's tons of people coming through having babies. And in slow, they were like, yeah, we have this, you know, uh, empty bed program going on. So even if, you know, your, your daughter is in the NICU, so long as there's an empty bed in this hospital, you can stay, you don't have to leave. And so that was really reassuring for my wife more so. And then they had cool little like perks and stuff. Like we had like bottle of, uh, sparkling cider to celebrate after mm. so it felt like a real <laughs> <laughs> i guess the more you have the more you work at the kinks you know <laughs> yeah because oh that was another uh interesting story with our son i mean man they were waiting on him like hand and foot because every time the little alarms go off and stuff like that but then with our daughter i want to say she was in the NICU for maybe like three days and then we're just laying in the room and all of a sudden they just wheel her in and it's like, all right, you guys are in charge now. It's like, whoa, wait, wait, we're still at the hospital, right? Like, you guys are going to still change the diapers and stuff. Like, we don't have to do this until we get home, right? And they're like, no, you're you're on it. <laughs> I was trying to take full advantage of our stay at the hospital. Of course. <laughs> what did you feel when, because there was a, probably a, an elevated sense of becoming when you had your first kid. So what, what kind of feelings can you illustrate? I want you to illustrate what kind of feelings you had internal feelings. And I don't want you to get transparent with these. What internal feelings did you have, whether they were burdens or, or benevolent feelings. Once you had your son knowing that this life form depends on you and the choices you make, are going to directly affect his well-being. So there were a few feelings that I had uh, before that. I feel like my wife and I are planners. So I felt there were a few, a few things I didn't want to have when he was here. I didn't want to have my car payment anymore. I had maybe a couple more months left on it. And I was like, you know what? Just in case we need money for him. I don't want to have this car payment hit me every month. So I paid it off. Same thing with our daughter. We we only had my wife's car left. So we paid it off before she came. Same deal. A couple months left or so, a year or whatever. But once he was here, it was pretty much, oh man. It was a feeling of like no rest. Because we just needed to be on all the time for him. My wife was like doing her best. She was exhausted, not getting any sleep, even with my mother-in-law there. And I was working a stressful job at the time down in Southern California. That was not fun. I would come home and it was like a change into the guard, just a peck on the lips. And that's where I guess you got to have a real strong relationship to get through that. Cause that was tough. Cause I would sleep in the living room. And she would sleep in the room because she wanted me to, 
at least have a good night's rest to get to work. So we weren't even sleeping in the same room because our son, he would, he was still grunting and trying to exercise his lungs or crying. And so I would come home and just take him and then she would try to sleep as best as she could. And then we would switch and she would, even though I would try to sleep in the living room, she'd be up all night. So it was, uh, there was a lot of feelings of, of stress at that time and just feeling like it's sink or swim. Well, it's swim really. I think when it comes to being a parent in business, like some people might use that terminology, oh, sink or swim. Or when you get in a new position to sink or swim, I think because you have that ability to fall and get back up. But at least for myself, I felt once my son was here, it's just swim. Sinking is not an option because (laughs) is he going to take care of me? Like that's, that's not how it works. At least not right now. Maybe when he's older, we're like, okay, you can take care of me now. (laughs) That's something that, that is implicit in all men, that natural urgency to provide. I don't care what kind of man you are. It's inside of you, whether or not you exercise it. And you extract it is a different thing, but it's in, it's implicit in all of us, at least on a spectrum. Some men have it more than others, but every man I'm going to venture to say has this component to them provide, provide, because it's something that's been established and ingrained in our biological DNA for hundreds and thousands of years. It's just something that's innate. And your that the reason why you're saying there is no time to sink, it's only swim. It's because that exists in you and you extracted it to a high degree. And the fact is that is based on the man and really his upbringing too. And what he's emulated or I'm sorry, what he saw as a child and what he's going to hopefully emulate in the future and maybe even be a step above that. There are some men that choose to disown that's that's that specific element of provision. And that's a travesty, but that's some men. That exists in some men. But it's still implicit in all men to want to provide, to need to provide. And that is something it's a burden, but it's a benevolent burden at that. You know, it's a, it's so we have roles to play. Women and men work their best as playing their roles. When you conflate the roles of a man and a woman, you get you get a cluster storm of misappropriated tasks, rather. I, I, it, the fact of the matter is, if you don't adopt a specific role as a male as a female, you don't have the best chance at creating the best life for yourselves as well as for any kin that you have. So traditionally, that's what works. We understand that's what works, but we're not seeing that nowadays. And I'm not trying to, you know, 
I'm not trying to 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 depart from what we're talking about, but it just it just bears some significance to note that look, women play a certain role really well that men don't. Men play a certain role really well that women don't. Sure, one can do the job of the other, but then that's that's confusing the process. And there's a process to everything that works that works optimally. You know, if you walk into a gym, the trainer can be a front desk and he can also be the janitor, but he does the trainer job really well. And the other ones, he doesn't do so much, at least well. So he sticks to the role of the trainer. But if the gym is short staffed, he's got to be front desk. He's got to be janitor. That's not the way things should work. Things should have. Everything should have their role and structure, at least in a perfect world. I know that that doesn't exist all the time, but for, for the pretense of a family, it works best. Obviously that's how I was raised. I, I wouldn't be the kind of man that I am, whatever man that I am, if it weren't for the adopted structure in my household. It's really, it's really somewhat disparaging to see the way that certain women are nowadays because they don't understand you're not, you're not going to be a wife with this. You're not no upstanding male is going to choose you, especially high earning male when he has his pick of the litter. It's not going to choose you going around flaunting your shit, <laughs> trying to get, trying to get acceptance and be, and become a, a, a popular icon. Nobody's going to see that as any kind of, there's not going to be any kind of value in that for a man. A man wants a nurturer. He wants a woman that can be able to take care of his children, not just bear children. Anybody can bear, most people can bear children, but he wants a woman that's going to nurture and be a, uh, a sense of care. And the fact is that's what real men align with. Women are thinking that they're just going to pick the man that they want. If they're a certain look, no, that's not how it really works. Hot, high earning upstanding men that have their pick of the litter are going to be able to choose what they want and who they want. And the woman that they choose is going to probably be a woman that their mother was. And if their mother raised that man to be a high earning, upstanding man, he's only going to look for certain women. So this, this narrative perpetuates itself. Yeah. Effectively as it should. And I think, you know, to touch on what you had said about social media, I think it's maybe individuals trying to navigate uh, this the landscape that we're in right now, because prior to this, I mean, there was no earning an income off of your physique, off likes and ads and all this other stuff. I think that I mean I do agree. We're both very fortunate to have not had social media when we were young, and have to you know forego that learning curve that all these young people are going through now. Because there's a, I can't remember where I heard it, but how, um, 
history will write who stood on the right side. And because we're living in it and people are learning, like learning as we go, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to see this as it's unfolding. Um, cause where will we be when we're 50? Where will individuals who might've put themselves out there in a very strong way on social media be when they're 50 and how will that reflect on their children? I mean, I talk about not wanting to put my kids, just their images on social media only because of that, because how will that affect them? What type of access will people have? Or will there be a rubber band effect where my children, their generation will be anti-social media because it's like my parents put all this stuff. Like I have a social presence before I even could make the conscious decision to do so on my own. I mean, we all have like embarrassing family photos or whatever. I don't know what's going to embarrass my kids. I don't know what maybe bullies of the future are going to have access to on their cell phones to be able to say, oh, your mom tweeted about you and said, you know, little dirtbag wouldn't go to bed on time or whatever the case may be. And they'll be like, yeah, your, your mom doesn't love you. And we make jo- jokes like that or we've heard them made to us on the schoolyard growing up and maybe they resonated, maybe they didn't. But now kids are going to have facts. They're going to have those tweets that your parents sent. They're going to have those pictures that your parents posted. And I just don't want that for my kids. Well, there's a, there's a level of privacy that's, that's now being for is now being foregone. I mean, privacy is a, a really positive thing in certain regards. I mean, you're protecting and that's another role as a man to protect his family. So the fact is you're protecting your children. And I'll be honest with you, I would do the exact same thing because the last thing I want is for somebody that I don't know to see me in a grocery store with my child. If I had a child and be like, him recognize my child before he recognizes me. No, (laughs) fuck that. No. And it's not to say that that man would be a pedophile or, or whatever. I mean, it could be a woman. I don't want you to recognize who my child is. Yeah. You recognize who I am, that's fine, but do not recognize who my child is. And so I've always been with you in that regard, always. Like I wouldn't even put out, like if it were, if I had a child, I would never post my child ever in a photo. I don't care if it's a family photo. The only thing that I would ever do is, well, you know, I uh, let, let me, I digress. I might do a family photo one time, but I wouldn't do photos in general, especially of my youngest or, or of my child for the, for the, for the people to see. I don't care if it's story. I don't care if it's on a post, nothing, never, because I don't, a want you to know who my child is. I don't want you to recognize my, and the reason why I say this because I recognize children in public that are posted from their moms or dads. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like recognizing who you are before I, if I see you, let's say, uh, I don't know, outside somewhere of a grocery store or a place of business. I don't, I don't like that. I recognize your 13 year old person. Yeah. No, I shouldn't know who you are, dude. You know what I mean? But I recognize you as being the kid of such and such. I don't like that. I don't, it doesn't fit well with, doesn't bode well with me. Um, but the element of privacy, that's what 
every man should be protecting of with his family. There's very, very, there's very, I think there's a, a massive element of virtue to that, to being able to be a provider, A, and a protector, B. And you protect with your element of, with an element of privacy. And so. Because I never, I mean, <clears throat> I guess like I do have a, I do have a gripe against individuals who might do that because I did have a conversation with a buddy and he, he was on the same page about not wanting pictures of his kids put out there. He even had the conversation with family about it. Like, Hey, we're going to this family event. Don't post pictures that have our kids in it online. Like I've never said that to my family. If they did, then they did. It's like, it's whatever at that regard. Kind of like you said, if uh, once in a while, a family photo or whatever, but not like individual photos. And I never understood like, what's, what's the angle then? Like uh, either. And I don't want to like, you know, try to put people in a box, but at least as an observer, I feel like, well, either you just really love your kids and you really want to share them with the world because they're so happy about it. Or are you trying to monetize off this? Like, like a pageant mom or like a stage, a stage dad, you know, trying to get your kids to be famous kids or something like that. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me. And that same uh, buddy of mine that I talked to, he did have that uncomfortable interaction where he ran into someone he knew from school and was like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? Like just catching up. And then, uh, their child was there and he was like, Hey, how's it going? So-and-so. And they kind of looked at the dad, like, I've never met this person in my life. How do they know my name? Like, and then he even had that cringe moment where it's like, oh yeah, I'm meeting you for the first time. Why am I calling you by your name? You, your, your parent hasn't even introduced you to me. That's weird. <laughs> it is. And, and, um, you know, I know that everybody doesn't feel the way you and I feel about this topic and there are still good people at their heart. They're still at the core of them. They're still good people. But because we're navigating this landscape mm -hmm. for the first time, these are steps that haven't been taken before. But there are certain things that don't feel right with your being that you that you choose to, you know, differentiate yourself from. And the fact is, if people felt badly about that certain thing, like I've never had kids and I still feel that way. And I felt that way before I saw you or I heard that you didn't. Well, I didn't hear. I knew because you wouldn't post your kids. And if you did, you put an emoji over their face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was that. So I was doing that. <laughs> I remember that. But I remember feeling that way, having that internal conversation with myself before I even saw that. Because that's not the way I would conduct myself. And it's not to say that I'm better than you. But the fact is, I'm more private than you. Yeah. I'm not, not private than Ramon. <laughs> I'm more private than the ones that choose to put their kids out there. I don't, it's no, it's nothing against that. Cause I have a lot of good people in my circle that post about their friends and they're all really good people, really good, really good people. But that's not the way I conduct myself. If I had, a, if I was married and we had children and my wife wanted to do that, I would, I would hope that she would take my lead. In, in whatever my suggestion was to not do that. I think you guys would probably have had the conversation before too. 
going into it. Like all that stuff would probably be vetted unless it was like a surprise. We're having a baby. <laughs> then, right. then maybe you'd be figuring it out as you go. But definitely, I think that you guys would probably be on the same page before a little person came into this world, which is interesting that, I mean, you talk about privacy. Yeah, I think it is definitely something that I enjoy. Uh, I think that both you and I are probably some pretty private individuals. And it, it's interesting that we do put ourselves out there in a social way via podcasting or even with the, the little amounts of social media uh, that we do. Because it's one of those things that we're also playing at a game that we too may find ourselves to be recognized in public. And what does that look like? I mean, you hear about actors who they, to them, it's going into work and punching in and punching out. But there's this side, this like side effect to being an actor that you will be recognized and you lose that sense of privacy. And there are some who are famous actors who, they don't want you to like, it's like, this is just my job and not everybody is at that level, but it would be like, if you were to go into work and there's people just waiting outside, I mean, this is your life. This is your job. You running your errands and not being able to, to do it in a, the way you did before. Do you think about that? Cause I, I think about that. Um, I honestly think that if that were to happen as much as that is a, uh, a very flattering notion, I think that, and this goes, this goes back to what you think about yourself, because even if you think to yourself, even you know, you're capable of doing certain things of magnitude you you do so you willingly adopt the responsibility to do these things but just for purposes of the action behind them you don't think about what's going to come as a result and that's the result of your determination your hard work in your craft i don't think about what it would be like to be leonardo dicaprio Although I can postulate it would be crazy, but at that point, and I guess there's levels of, of fame. If you're a Leonardo DiCaprio, you can't go to the grocery store. Yeah. You probably have people grocery shopping for you. Yeah. If you're on the level of Tom Hanks or Brad Pitt, you're not doing certain regular things. And if you do, you're in full mask. You're, you know, you're full, you're fully disguised. I would imagine but there are also some people that love that sort of thing and they get filled up by that sort of thing. And more often than not, those are the narcissists. But just because that is your identity now, it doesn't mean that it should forego your you should forego your identity or rather relegate yourself of what what brought you to that position. Yeah. You know, it's a flattering thing to take part in as long as, as long as it stays fairly balanced and, or, I'm sorry, appropriate, you know? So 
I think that if that were to be the case with you or I, I know that I would treat it with an upstanding poise and I would treat it in a way that wasn't, I, I, I'm very, for, for one, I'm very thankful over anybody who gives me any kind of accolade ever. But at the same time, I also don't want to hear it because I don't want it to, I don't want it to contort the way that I think naturally. I don't want it to bloat me. I don't want it to, I don't want it to cause me to deviate off my course. And some people will think, well, you're just not open-minded. If somebody gives you, if somebody gives you constructive criticism, which I don't think anything is constructive if it's criticism, (laughs) but that's a different conversation. I don't, it's still, it's still somewhat artificially contaminating the otherwise path that I am, that I'm, that I'm trying to navigate. I kind of want to fall on my ass if I fall on my ass. I don't really want you to tell me what I should say, how I should say it, what I should do, how I should move, how I should really conduct this song and dance. I want to kind of mess up and have to recourse as a result of my own mess ups. I don't want it to come from somebody telling me. Yeah. And so by way of you giving me an accolade or criticism, it kind of does that. And that's why I stay far away from the analytics. I don't want to know who's listening, who's not listening, because it might distort the actual, the actual, it might distort the actual activity at play. And I don't want that. I want it to be all organic, natural, from an authentic stance and position. And if something happens in regards to that, not, I'm sorry, if something doesn't happen from that. At least I knew that I put my best authentic foot forward and that's all I really want out of this. That's the whole, that's the whole impetus behind anything I, I do in terms of this. I mean, that's why I recently became a personal trainer is because I wanted to help people. I like helping people more, more of that. I liked the, the, what it brought out of people once whatever cue I did enforce or whatever style of, uh, of, teaching I am I employed in that particular moment help the person move better feel better get a better result that was a reward and so I went into that because that was something that I could I could do effortlessly and I knew that I could swim far in that regard I knew I wouldn't sink I might not swim far enough but I'll swim far out at least to the point where I wouldn't sink so you get about that sink or swim kind of analogy like I knew I was doing something that I wouldn't sink with I don't know how far I'm going to swim but I'm not going to sink for sure yeah but you know most people they get they brought they get brought into an identity that's worldwide or nation known and they're not ready for it and but here's the thing you can't really be ready for that type of clout you can't really be ready for that type of bravado that you're going to end up adopting by way of your own personal pursuit. Yeah. You can't, nobody can be ready for that. Justin Bieber wasn't ready for that. Even a Justin Timberlake, they weren't ready for that. Nobody's really ready for that. But the way you navigate yourself in the midst of it is going to really be the thing that takes you further or doesn't. I mean, you could, you could see things as like, well, take it for granted. And somebody says, gives you a, a, 
positive response on something you did and you're like, yeah, yeah, thanks, man. But it really doesn't hit your heart. And those things should always hit your heart because you're coming from a real life person that took their time to pay attention to whatever lack level shit you are doing. And it's like, why did you even pay attention to me? I'm not even worthy paying attention to, to this person you are. And that's the reason why they're, they're telling you that they like you. So for you to, for it not to hit your heart in a way as another, as it should a human being says a whole lot to me. It should say, it just, that should say to you, I'm worth a shit because we all know we, we tell ourselves, even if we tell ourselves we're, we're going to do great things. There are days that we tell ourselves we're not worth a shit and I can't do this. And you really can't apart from help from other people and you keeping a discipline and a structure to your own personal pursuits. So when somebody honors that or admires you for that particular thing you're doing, you don't let it just roll off your heart. You dispense in a way that's authentic because it should mean something to you because it's what you're working towards. Yeah. So, I mean, the way you navigate it is going to really dictate where you go in life because anybody can fizzle out. Anybody can reach a precipice and then fucking fizzle out. You don't, you can be a Kanye West. You can fizzle out. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't take much for you to fizzle out. God can give it to you and he can take it away, man. And that's what we all have to be humble to. Anything could go at any minute. And so understanding that really puts you in a position of being grateful and humble, knowing that you're breakable. You are fucking breakable. To how you treat people and how you treat circumstances in everyday life is going to really be the thing that dictates where you go in life, I believe. And and the trajectory that you that you reach. Yeah, no, I can definitely feel you on that one. <clears throat> that was the <laughs> that was a- it look, I could go further than that, but I'm just re- going to be repeating myself or, or saying it in different avenues or yeah. saying it in different, in, in different lights. But, um, I don't, I don't, I don't respect people that don't respect others that give them respect. Yeah. That to me is, that's just ridiculous. I don't understand your I don't understand your mental process, your wiring in that regard. And I think that, I mean, what you had to say about, you know, not letting a lot of these things sort of dictate how you are like your trajectory, how you want to be able to fall and get up on your own and do all of these things. I think that even on a small scale, there are individuals who might feel weight, the weight of that and not be able to say, no, I am doing this on my own. These decisions are mine and I'm making them without the either peer pressure or comments that I feel might be coming. I know that, well, we're kind of reaching a point where we're, we're looking to make a big decision in our lives of, is it time to purchase a new vehicle? And dude, that comes with like so many 
everybody wants to chime in. What are you getting? Is it American or import, foreign or domestic? It's Ford or Chevy, like, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, you know what? For me, it's really got to fit the bill. Can the kids fit? Is it good? Like, I've got my whole list. And then there's so many brands out there that it's like, this is the one that'll be for me. And kind of like you said, not letting people knock you off your own course. I'm the one that has to pay for it. I'm the one that's going to be driving it. It's for my family, not for yours. So I don't put that information out there. It's like, you know, like I'm definitely on the same page with you on that. And it's like, you got to do what you got to do for you and not let others sort of kick you off your own path. Yeah. And at the end of the day, they're not thinking about you when they're going to sleep anyway. Yeah. (laughs) So what their opinion matters is, is really not a whole lot. I mean, it's one thing to display yourself in a moral and integral light with everything you do in your walk in life. They don't even, they don't even think about you. Like they don't, they don't even care about you. They care about their own thing. Yeah. They're their, they're their, they're their biggest fan. Just like you're your biggest fan. Even if you were hard on yourself, I am super hard on myself. I'm my biggest fan. I'm a biggest fan. And honestly, I don't say that with any kind of conceit. I need to be, cause if I'm not, I'm not going to have any fans. If I can't, if I can't feel that way about myself, then I'm not going to project that. And it's going to, that, that, that energy is not going to be emitted. And that's a bad thing, man, because nobody's going to jump on my train. Nobody's going to think that I have anything to say worth its salt. So I have to be my own biggest fan. But again, everybody has to be their biggest fan. Everybody. And if you're not, then really who are you rooting for? Yeah. You need to be rooting for yourself because really how you, and I don't mean that from, again, a conceited stance. I mean that you need to root for yourself because a lot of people don't care about you in the way that you care about yourself. Everybody cares about themselves, even if they're a Mother Teresa. Everybody cares about themselves over yourself. And that's just the way it is. And that's just from a primitive stance. That's something we've adopted from a primitive stance hunter gatherer mindset. I mean, we need to kill to not be killed. And I'm not saying that you do whatever it takes by any means necessary. I hate that. I hate that phrase (laughs) when people use that for, I think that's just the most despicable (laughs) low level, like snake in the grass phrase you could use is by any means necessary. I hate that. I'm saying you need to be your biggest fan by any means necessary. And whatever you do needs to continuously complement that notion because that's how you keep proceeding in life. Really, if you don't, if you don't adopt that type of an idea, even if it hasn't played itself out in real life yet, then you're not going to be playing to any distinct role that you could play in life. You need to play the role now, like you, like you did with your kid. You, you started playing that role before the child was even at your doorstep. But what do I do about my car? This car is not serving me right now. And really it doesn't, it's nothing in the sights of a son. 
I can forego my car. I can, I can, I can take that burden away so I can have something of cushion for my child. Cause that's more meaningful. That's being a man. That's being a man with a purpose. You're getting ready before the real thing comes. I mean, if I'm honest, I've been getting ready for a position that I have not held yet years back. I'm getting ready for it. Even if it comes or not, I'm getting ready for it because what else do I have to do with my time? What else? What else is more important? I need to get ready for something that I see myself doing. And even though, like I said, it's something that's a, it's a vision that I've had for years and years and years, it's not going away. So I'm going to water that seed the best I can because I'm not going to fucking sink. Just like you're not going to sink. It's just a matter of how far out am I going to be able to swim? These waters are getting cold, man. And I know there's sharks underneath me ready to eat me. How fast am I going to be able to swim? Because I know I can swim. I'm not going to sink. I'm either going to get fucking eaten by a shark or I'm going to drown on the, on the way of breaststroking my hardest. But I'm ultimately going to keep swimming unless one of those things happens. Yeah. What is worth it to you to keep swimming for? That's really what your life is about. And how do you see this thing playing out? To be able to swim far, you have to be a fan of yourself. You have to be your biggest fan. That was heavy, dude. <laughs> I totally agree with that. I don't even know how to follow that up. As a <laughs> Sometimes you just go and it's like, you just got to step aside, let the man talk. <laughs> Look, I apologize. I, I don't, I don't necessarily like doing that. Um, but yeah, I don't like doing that because I, I do that enough on my own podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> I think it's because of our dynamic though. I don't think it's because, you know, I'm used to listening to you speak because I, I listen to your episodes and because, well, I mean, we started this off from the jump. I think that it, that just goes with our dynamic. Um, <laughs> it definitely doesn't have anything to do with like, I don't know. <laughs> well, that's something that I need to, I'm trying to get better at because I don't want to be the one to always speak. Yeah. Cause I want, I want generally, I mean, genuinely I'm fascinated with people and what their upbringings are and where they come from and how they think about things. I want to hear more about, how people think about things. Yeah. I want to hear about, even if it's not even, even if we're not in agreement over something, I want to hear how you think. And we let our audience be the deciding factor or what they think about it, you know, but it's not up to me to, to, it's not up to me to delegate only certain people to the podcasts that I like yeah. or that, um, are in line with my field or what have you, or the friends of mine, like that's bias. I want to, I want to hear from different sides 
and I want organic conversational exchange to take place. I'm excited to hear what's to come with that because I feel some of the best conversations are with people who you might not agree on certain topics with. I think that you and I, we agree on a lot. And so it's like, <laughs> so it's not fair. It's really it's not. No, it's I, not. Okay. If, for anybody listening, this is probably going to be the most biased uh, <laughs> podcast episode. <laughs> I think because like people who are headed in the same direction, they tend to have, they, they come with the same either beliefs or they come with the same. I mean, there's just a lot of the same stuff in tow. Uh, as they're heading in that direction. Otherwise, we'd have been going opposites. Mm-hmm. I'd have been doing something else. You'd have been doing your own thing. And it's like, oh, we just don't agree on anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, th- I think that that'd definitely be very interesting <laughs> when you get someone who disagrees with you. <laughs> I mean, I might just bring an atheist on here. <laughs> who knows? Hey, man. Yeah, I've had a few conversations with individuals like that. And, you know, I'm always open to the conversation, but... You know, we stand where we stand. Yeah. And <laughs> well, and, and for people that are just tuning in, uh, I'm a Christian. And so that's why I say it'd be interesting to bring an atheist on here. I actually have an atheist client that I train. Really? And he's became a friend, man. And it's, it's, it's fascinating to hear his position on certain things. He's very, it's, he's very logical and scientific and matter of fact. Yeah. And I am a lot of those things as well. But I allow myself to, to venture into things that I don't know exist. You know, I can't prove God exists, but he can't prove God doesn't exist. So the burden is on both of us to prove and we can't. Well, isn't it with faith? It's, you're not, you're not trying to prove it anyways. And I think with science, this proof is coming from scientific discoveries so we don't believe in Thor being the god of thunder because we know what creates thunder now. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of old school gods that are just, they're, they're on the back shelf now. No one's talking about Ra or any of that stuff. Who? <laughs> you don't remember Egyptian gods? I mean, I'm a history buff. So, oh, okay. I mean, that's that the only reason sense. I know all this stuff. Um, I miss that day in social studies. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was it was a pretty chaotic time. I want to say like in ancient Greece and Rome and even Egypt, they had a God for everything. And it was like, that's a lot to remember. Superstition. Yeah. More superstition based, right? And so even now, though, I think that in science and religion, um, there's a lot of avenues where they can cross or they can even meet. Um, I think that, well, one of the things that I learned, and I'm pretty sure I talked to you about it. Um when it came to astrology, uh, I was listening to Neil Tyson or Neil deGrasse Tyson, mm-hmm. and he was talking about the um, God. What are they? The the Jes, not the Jesuit, something priests in the Catholic faith uh, were some of the first astrologers to study space and the stars. And it's like more often than not, people think, oh, if you just believe in religion then that's it all i need to know is in this book i don't need to look out there i don't need to look into things i don't need a microscope to look even in the smaller things this is all i need to know but it's like they found a, a need for a broader understanding of the universe 
that I, I think it's what they believe that God created everything. So not, why not look at everything then? Don't just look at this one planet. If he, if he created this planet and also created everything else. So it would do you a service to look at that stuff too. And so, and then how he talked about, there are some scientists too that have faith and you would think that that's just, you can't be a scientist and religious kind of counterintuitive. Yeah. But there are, there are many scientists. There are certain things that, you know, we'll never be able to explain in our lifetimes. Like even when they talk about, you know, there, even for those who believe in a big bang theory, it's like, well, there in itself can lie God who lit the fuse to cause the big bang. Maybe it's not just the planet and the seven days or whatever. Maybe that is it, but it's like, you can't explain that. You can't figure that out. There's all these other things that come into, come into play. And I feel like, I don't know. I was going off on a tangent, but that there, there lies religion in itself too. That you can find faith in science. Well, and that's a, that's the hard thing to, to put in practice because to say the Big Bang, that's the fuse that was lit. Science needs proof behind that fuse. Yeah. You know, you can't just say, you can't just bring up some nebulous situation that possibly occurred. You need to be exact. You need to disprove it or be able to prove it, you know? And so that's where... I mean, atheists have a really strong argument, but so do Christians. So do people that talk about free will and the, the, the essence of morality and how human beings really cultivated the civilization that they did based on precepts of morality in the church, etc. So there's a lot to be dispensed with there, but it's just interesting to have different viewpoints, right? I mean, even if you don't agree, it's fine. Yeah. You can still be friends because that's the best thing about, about seeing different sides is that it doesn't have to, conf- it doesn't have to ruin or rather, uh, uh, you know, deflate the friendship that's there, the personal friendship that's there, because you all, you both probably operate on certain specific platform or I'm sorry, certain specific, um, ideological pretenses that form your friendship and that are able to keep you guys alive and going and being fruitful as friends. Just like, just because you have different beliefs in politics or one voted for Trump, the other voted for Biden, or, you know, you guys have different religious, you know, uh, avenues that you take or that you uphold. It doesn't mean that you can't be, you can't come together and be a, still be a friend, yeah. you know, just showing mutual respect or, I mean, we all, yeah, we all are going to have different opinions and different beliefs on a lot of things. There are some people that are still out there, the, if it fits your macros, you know, and they exist. <laughs> still eating them Pop-Tarts, man. You know, Pop-Tarts <laughs> are never going to go old ever. <clears throat> well, look, man, we've done an hour and a half, hour and a half. Nice, Steve. Um, look, man, <laughs> I just want to thank you for giving me your time. I thank you for, for, for meeting me here and just for, for, for dispensing with me on the podcast it means a lot to me, dude. Um, can you please tell people where they can find you and can you please do more podcasts? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'll get that, uh, up and going again, but for now, I mean, you can find me, um, 
at dadspodcastproject.com. Oh, no, no. It's actually my name. Um, I don't know. It is. What's your name? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's RamonCampamore.com. And then there you'll find uh, my dad's podcast project, um, some photography stuff, too that I dabbled in back in the day. You are uh, this is he's underselling himself. He's a very, very <laughs> talented photographer. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, those are the places I don't really, ever since I updated my phone, uh, it logged me out of Facebook and I never logged back in. So yeah, fucking Facebook. Yeah. It's got like that little icon next to my Facebook thing is like 500 now. And it's probably all like, do you want to come back? Like, I, I know it's that. It's not people. No, uh, there's people. <laughs> uh, or Instagram. Uh, just Ramon Campamore. That's where you find me. Um, is there an underscore? Is there an underscore in there? Mm, there might be. I mean, you can just search it all. Um, gotcha. I don't think there's that many Ramon Campamores out there. So <laughs> There's probably three in the world of seven billion. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Well, if you've made it this far on the podcast, I just want to thank you. Uh, again, thank you for your guys' time. I appreciate you guys being here. I know Ramon does as well. And uh, we are done.